Alright, well if y'all remember, we were in 2nd Peter. Get my yell on? Yeah. The cicadas are going to try to drown me out, but um, I can yell louder than they can, at least for a while, but there's a lot of them, so we'll try to go quickly. They'll wear me down eventually. Um, so we've been in uh, alternating, and Treb was in Colossians chapter 3 for a while, and, and, and I'm going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 today, kind of finishing up what we started a couple weeks ago, looking at the reality of the gospel. And I, and I mentioned kind of two things that I thought that, the one that every person in the world deserves to hear the gospel of Jesus. And I uh, talked about the, the truth of the gospel and, and, and how many people don't, don't understand it or don't believe it. And that we have people who we bump into every day who do not live with the hope of heaven, who do not live with the hope of eternal life. And that we have this wonderful privilege of telling people about the freeing life of Christ, of the gospel. And that comes with the reality of judgment and the reality of freedom from that condemnation. And I also mentioned that, that every, every person deserves to experience the authentic life of Christ in them. That it's not just this idea of just sitting around saying, yes, I'm a Christian and raising my hand to the question, but looking at this life that Christ calls us to engage in, this life of, of glory, this life of joy, of peace, of patience, of, that we are supposed to be bearers of the fruit of the Spirit. And so tonight I want to kind of expand into where Peter was going here in this passage. And we're going to continue in, uh, in verse 5 here. So it's the 2 Peter 1, 5. We're going to kind of go through 11. And he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. So Peter doesn't mind just laying it out there. Therefore, my brothers, be all, more, all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And, it, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whew. So there's a lot in there, and we're going to unpack it here in just a second. But when he says, for this very reason, he's talking about the, the previous verses, right, where he starts off, grace and peace be to yours. Remember, he's writing these things to those who through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. He's writing to believers. And then he says that his divine power has given us this past completed event, everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And he's given us these great and precious gifts so that through them we would participate in the divine nature. We talked a little bit about that last time, this idea that he wants us to, to, to join him in the expression of his divine nature on earth. It's a mind-blowing concept. So he says, for that reason, make every effort to do what? To add to your faith, and then he goes through this list of things. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, uh, perseverance, or your Bible might say patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So uh, we all love lists. These kind of build on each other, right? And, and this is all one really massive, long sentence, almost this whole chapter is. It's crazy, this first half of this chapter. 
as he goes through and he says, make every effort to add to your faith. Why does Peter think that we need to add something to our faith? I thought that faith plus was bad. And so we have this concept of, of a works-based salvation, right? Hold on, my mic wasn't on. If you're recording that, Greg, here we're picking up right where we're at. So, yeah. I'm recording it, right. I know. Here we go. And just a reminder, when you pick this up, it's going to be a little late in the sermon. Here we go. So, um, it's all right. That's how we roll. The, the reality that I can't earn my salvation, there's nothing that I can do to, to earn nor maintain God's love for me, that I accept His love freely as His, His grace is given to me, and I accept that by faith so that I can't earn it. But it says that we have to do something to add to your faith. Well, why does He say that? Why would Peter go and say, oh, well, you've got this faith, now I want you to add something to it. Well, Peter's not talking about our salvation. He's writing to believers, right? And so he says, when he says add to your faith, what's he talking about? He says, make every effort to do what? Add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Why? Because that is, the, that is how we participate in the divine nature. Because God wants us to actually live out his life on planet Earth, Christ wants to live his life through surrendered believers. That's how he wants us to do it. So why does it say make every effort? Well, I'll be honest, because I don't naturally do this. I have to work toward this. I don't wake up every morning and just say, oh, Jesus, I am, I am, so, no. I, every morning I wake up a, a, a legalist. I wake up thinking I'm going to do my best to make sure that God is happy with me. I'm going to make, I want everybody to get along with me. I don't want any conflict. I don't want any difficulty. I don't want anything to go wrong today. That's how I wake up every morning. And then God has to wake up and smack me in the face with the word of God and say, guess what? That's not how it goes. I want you to make every effort to add to these things to your faith. What does he want us to add? First, he says goodness. It's the same word he uses in verse three when he says that uh, he's given us everything we need for life and God, and it's through a knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. It's the manifestation of his divine and holy and perfect character. So he wants us to demonstrate in our life goodness. He wants us to demonstrate knowledge. He prays for all the saints, uh, Paul does, that he wants us to grow in our knowledge that we would comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the breadth and width and height and depth of God's love for us and that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I want to be growing. We need to be growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. Then it says, uh, to knowledge, self-control, or the, the King James Version was the word temperance. This idea of saying no to my earthly and my fleshly desires. Okay, It's something that's honestly totally lost on most of our world, that if I have a desire or an urging, that I would say no to that if it's not in God's will. And he's saying that that should be a demonstration that should be shown in our life. To self-control, perseverance. That's this idea of no matter what happens, is this enduring patience that when difficult times come that I persevere through them because I believe in something greater than myself. I persevere in difficulty. To perseverance, godliness. And godliness is this attitude that expresses itself in, in behavior that pleases the Lord. And then brotherly kindness, that's the word Philadelphia, where you get the word Philadelphia from, right? This, this love that we have between brothers and sisters, between brothers, is not a romantic love. It is this very strong bond that believers are supposed to have with one another. It's this incredible, if you've been, if, a lot of people, if you don't have a family, 
or your family is broken, people come into the body of Christ and they're like, whoa, what, what is going on here? These people love me. It's because we're meant to be a family. We are the body. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm supposed to love you deeply, sacrificially. It's supposed to cost me something to love you. He wants brotherly kindness to grow in us. And then finally, to brotherly kindness, love, it's this love, a word agape, it's this God's love, it's selfless love. He wants that to be growing more and more in our lives. In verse 80, it says this, For if you possess these qualities, if you have them as your qualities of your life, this is hard stuff, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective or unproductive. Some other versions say uh, a barren or unfruitful. It's this idea of, of a plot of land that you put seed in it and nothing grows. It rains, there's sun, nothing happens. It's unproductive land. And God does not want us to be like that. He wants us to be the kind of land that he plants stuff in and then his stuff grows. But look at this. If you possess these qualities. So the question here is this. As you look through this list of things, right? And this is all to believers. This is not a message to the unbeliever. The only message to the unbeliever is that you are condemned because of your sin and God calls you to him in love to receive his forgiveness. That is the message to the unbeliever. None of this is to the unbeliever. This is to the child of God. And God says, I want you to evaluate your life. I want you to look and say, hey, do I bear the fruit of goodness, kindness, knowledge, self-control? I stuck kindness in there. The fruit of the Spirit is rolling through my brain godliness, perseverance, brotherly kindness, and love. Are these the, is this the fruit of my life? And if it's the fruit of my life, is it growing? Can I look back a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in the past and say, the Brandon of 20 years ago had very little of this. The Brandon of today has a little bit more. He doesn't say that you have to be growing like leaps and bounds, just that there's a difference to be able to evaluate your life and say, Lord, Am I growing in these things? Are these things the fruit of my life? And it says, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. How do they keep you that way? Well, because that's the fruit of God's Spirit in your life. And if you're walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God, guess what? You're going to be productive. God does not require you to be perfect or to be super smart or to go to seminary or to read a bunch of books or to follow this guy or that guy, or he said this or she said that. He just wants surrendered believers. He wants people to walk in surrendered dependence on the Holy Spirit. And then like an empty vessel, he fills us with his goodness, and then he pours his goodness out on the people around us. It will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in what? You would think that he would say unproductive in uh, ministry, unproductive in evangelism, unproductive in in really great theology, writing books, growing churches. No. In what? Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know Jesus more? I do. I don't feel like that every day. But, oh, man, I just want to know him. I want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The ravens are coming. It's crazy. Crows, whatever those are. You better, I better talk fast. Is that a gaggle? No. What's a bunch of... Murder. A murder of crows? There we go. They're coming for me, Lord. Okay. As we seek to know Jesus, our flesh gets in the way. The world gets in the way. The devil tries to trip us up. And Peter is saying, look at me. 
I want you to make every effort to add to your faith all of these things. Why? Because as you're walking, imagine you're looking at God and you're saying, God, I need more goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love today. Help me, Lord Jesus. If you're pursuing those things, you can't pursue those things and the things of the world in the same breath. You might stop breathing and turn and run after those things, but you can't do them at the same time. So as you walk in those things, they keep you from stumbling. Why? Well, that's the path that Christ wants you on. They keep you in uh, being unproductive, excuse me, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and growing in that great knowledge. But if you don't have them, you're nearsighted and blind or, and you have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. So Peter's not saying that you've forgotten these things, right? Like you actually forgot. Like Peter would come up to you and say, hey, you've been cleansed from your past sins. And you go, no, I haven't. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, no. You're like, no, I don't remember what you're talking What are sins? What are no, he's saying this in the application of your past sins in your life, that you live like Jesus never saved you from anything. That you live instead forgetting that he's cleansed you from your past sins. Forgetting how monumental my sin was. Forgetting the, the, the disgusting, horrible nature that my sin is what pinned Jesus to the cross. And as I grow in love of him, as I grow in love of his preciousness and his goodness, and it's kindness that I learned to hate sin because I see what it did to my Lord and I see what it does to the people that I love and I see what it does to this world that God created and loves and we should learn to hate it. But if we forget that, Peter's saying, guess what, you're just stumbling around like a blind person. There's a, a, a proverb in Guatemala that says, there's no worse blind man than he who doesn't want to see. It's a tragedy to see a person who can't see. But to run into someone who's blind, and then you say, I can make you see, and they say, I would rather stay blind. It's a deep tragedy. And Peter is shining the light of truth into the darkness of our blindness and saying, look at me, people. You've been given these great and glorious gifts. You've been given this divine power. He wants you to participate in his divine nature. And how you do that is you go to God and you go to your brothers and sisters in the Lord and you say, I want you to evaluate me. Look at these things. Am I growing in goodness and kindness, etc.? It's a painful process. It's like going to physical therapy after surgery. If you don't, you're always going to walk with a limp. I encourage you to do it. Therefore, in verse 10, my brothers, it says, be all the more eager. It's probably a better translation for him to just repeat, make every effort to do what? To make your calling and election sure. What does he mean? How, does, how is it that doing these things make my election sure? I thought, well, who is it that elects you? Well, it's the Lord. It's his divine power. It's his divine nature. It's his life and godliness. Who is it that called you out of sin and into life? It's Jesus. It's not my calling. It's his. Who elected us? Well, it wasn't me. I didn't elect you to go to heaven. God did. That's not my job. That's God's job. Whose calling is it? It's God's. Then why does he say to make your calling and election sure? In the same way that Abraham was declared righteous in Romans chapter 12. Remember, he looked to the stars of the sky and he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But we don't really see that lived out until Genesis 22. We see in Genesis 12 or 15, 12 and 15, but Abraham believes that God will make him the father of many nations. And then he goes and makes a whole bunch of stupid decisions. He tries to 
to turn, uh, to turn Sarah over. He goes with Hagar. And there's this giant mess of things that he makes. And then God calls him later in his life. And he says, I want you to sacrifice the thing that you love most, your son Isaac. And I want you to believe that I can raise him from the dead. And we look into James. And James is looking at this idea of righteousness and justification. And we have this Pauline understanding of that. I'm declared righteous by God. And then we have the other side of this coin, this this. Uh, this understanding that James gives us clarity for that, yes, you are declared righteous by God. Now go live it out. If you want someone to call you righteous, live out your righteousness. And that is what Peter is saying. You make your calling and election sure when you make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Someone making every effort to do these things doesn't doubt their salvation. Because as they try to do it, they can't. And they experience the power of Christ in them doing this thing. For if you do these things, you will never fall or stumble. So this idea, I don't think of, of never making a mistake or never forgetting or walking in perfect like I float on clouds all day long and my angel wings keep me way above all the sins of mankind is not what Peter is saying. When Peter says to fall or to stumble, he's talking about not walking on the path anymore. Sometimes you stop walking on, the, on, the, on your walk with Christ and you just stand there and you're just like, I don't know, taking up space. It's like the guy on the tollway who drives 20 miles an hour. You're like, why are you doing this? No, there's lots of things that can go wrong. Maybe his car's broken down. I don't know. I should probably pray for him instead of cursing him. But this idea that we get in the way sometimes or we feel like we're in the way. Let me tell you what, you're not in the way. If you're just standing there and you feel like all these other believers are blowing past you, don't compare yourself to them. That's dumb. They're not you. Jesus wants to walk with you and he wants you to walk with the family of God. So if you feel like you're standing there in neutral, guess what? Ask Jesus to push. Just quit fighting, quit trying to do it in your own effort and instead surrender to him and allow his life to be lived through you. If you do those things, you won't stumble. Why? Because if you're pursuing goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, God in his brotherly kindness and love, you might make a misstep. And if you're laying there and you're surrounded by people who love you in brotherly kindness, man, they'll pick you up and they'll drag you along with them and they'll help you get back on your feet. It says, then you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I long for the day, right, to see Jesus and to see him look to me and to say, well done, my good and faithful slave. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If I hear nothing else in all of eternity but that one thing, it will all have been worth it. Everything will have been worth it for Jesus to look at me and say, well done. If that is my sole motivation in life, that is enough. Do you understand that? If your sole motivation for seeking Jesus is that you will hear him say, well done, that's all that you need. Now, there's a lot more than that. You experience this incredible love, this incredible life of Christ living through you. But if your sole motivation is to hear those words from your beloved Savior, that is fine. If we would all live for that one goal, it would be a different world. It would be a different church. It would be a different life. So if you desire to receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord, well done. Amen. Keep striving for that. That is a good, good, good goal.
So how do we tie all these things together? Your salvation is a gift from God. You did not earn it, you can't earn it, and you can't maintain it. So what does he want you to do with it? He wants you to use it. He wants you to live out the life that Christ gave to you. He didn't raise from the dead so that we could just do stuff. He rose from the dead to give us new life. And we are supposed to be the church that lives out the life of Christ on planet Earth. And that's what Peter is instructing us to do. So what does it look like? And you'll hear me say this about a bazillion times. It looks like daily time with the Lord. It looks like time in the body. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, you're not going to grow. I was listening to Ravi Zacharias talk once and he said, you know what, I've talked to people who have all these massive problems and no matter what their problem is, I ask them one question, are you spending daily time in the Word of God? If they say yes, I tell them you're going to be okay. If they say no, I tell them you're hopeless. I can't give you any answers. If you're not spending time in the Word of God on a regular basis, you're going to flounder, you're going to fall away. I can't help you. I'm sorry. Trev and I can't pray enough to just drag you along and say, all right, come on, shibi shibi. No, get up, open your Bible, and read it. If you don't know how, I'll teach you. If you don't know how to read, I will teach you. If you don't know how to read your Bible, I will teach you. If you don't know how to pray, I'll show you. But it's not that complicated. Open this thing and read it, and then pray and ask God to show you his life and his great power through it. And then walk in submission to what he says. Don't read for this very reason, make every effort, and then say, Lord, I will not make every effort to add those. I'm not going to do it. You know what? If you want to do that, that's on you. But you're not going to grow. And the second thing is this. You need to be involved in the fellowship of believers. We are not lone wolves. We cannot grow by ourselves. I, I need, I need the, the uh, you guys are like, uh, you know how rocks get tumbled in a, in a rock tumbler? They're all bumpy and they put in grit, and then that thing just rolls together, and it rolls, and it rolls, and all these rocks get all the little bumpy parts rubbed off, and then you open that thing up after a day, and it's full of these gorgeous gems, these beautiful stones, because they've been, all their out, junky stuff has been rubbed away. Being in fellowship rubs away our junk, because if I'm a jerk to you, guess what? I can't get away with it, and you can say, hey, I love you. You're being a jerk. Why are you being a jerk today? Can I help you? And we do that over and over and over and over, and it helps. We can say, hey, I'm really sad today. And someone can say, I'm sorry that you're sad. Can I pray for you? And it helps. And we can say, hey, I, I need help moving. I need help this. I need... Do you remember what Jesus said for the world to look at the church and to say, hey, they're Jesus' disciples. Remember the one thing he told us to do? Anybody? Love. Love who? Love one another. Love the people in your church. And as we love you well, if all the world does is look at them and say, man, those people at the vine, they love each other like crazy. We're doing all right. If we don't have the biggest shows and if we're still mean out here in the dead of winter or whatever, if we're loving each other so much that the world looks at us and say, they love each other so well, they must be followers of Jesus. Amen. And I think we'll be doing well. So there you go. Uh, there's the nine, seven step. There's seven of those uh, little uh, things in there. So if you want to dig into those, be my guest. It's a great passage to memorize, to work these things through your brain. But I just want to encourage you, wherever you are walking, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, he's given you everything you need to grow. 
keep growing. And as we close in prayer, I just want to pray for us and, and pray that the Lord would just begin this uh, or reignite this process in our church. I love this group of people and I love watching the Lord work through each one of you. It's amazing to see how you care for each other, how you love each other, how you, uh, you pick each other up when you're falling down. And I just want to encourage you in your walk with him. If you're walking and just running hard after Jesus, just keep running. If you're discouraged and standing here feeling like everybody's blowing by you, take this moment now to surrender to Jesus. It's not complicated. It's a matter of the heart to connect the knowledge you have here to the understanding of Christ in your heart and to do that now. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you've never turned your life over to him, now is the time to do it. Don't wait. You're under condemnation by your, because of your sin. Come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for getting us done before the cicadas got too loud. I, uh, I thank you for all this nature around us, for these critters and trees and this beautiful day you've given us. I thank you for cooler weather that's coming. I thank you for your great provision in our lives. Thank you for your word. Lord, you've called us to live a life that is impossible to live outside of your work in it. You've called us to live a life that is impossible under human power. Yet you've called us to live this life of goodness. And I pray for each of us here that the fruit of our life would be goodness. The fruit of our life would be knowledge. It would be self-control. That it would be perseverance, godliness brotherly kindness and love. I pray that that would be the fruit of this church. That when people look at, at this body of believers as a tree, that they would be able to see this kind of fruit on it. I pray for anyone here who is discouraged right now. And I pray that they would be able to come before you and to kneel before you in their heart and surrender to the power of the Lord Jesus and be filled with your spirit in courage and in strength in order that they could walk with you on a daily basis. If they have stumbled, pick them up. If they are discouraged, encourage them, Lord. If they don't know what to do, fill them with the knowledge that they need. Help us to press on. Help us to make every effort. Help us wake up tomorrow and make every effort to grow in you. Help us make every effort, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would just tattoo that phrase in our minds this week that we would make every effort to add to our faith these things and that we would do so as a demonstration of your divine nature being lived through us we love you lord jesus we come to you to respond in worship we ask for your favor and your help in christ's name we pray amen